Amen. Praise God. If you have a Bible, you can open your Bible to Psalm 35, and we're going to read verse 27 in just a second. How many of you are blessed? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're doing a series of teaching called Abound, and we're talking primarily about our finances and managing those in a healthy way. And uh, today and next week, we're going to finish up the series, and I want to talk to you about overcoming the spirit of poverty. And uh, a lot of the payoff of this message is going to be next week. Um, so it's good if you come back. <laughs> but I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk today really sort of big picture uh, about why poverty exists and, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about countries and things. I'm not so much talking about individuals, but next week we'll take some of these same concepts and apply them on a micro scale to our, our individual lives. But I was going over this. I think God showed me something really profound, and I'm excited to share it with you. Um, before we get into that, however, I just want to make the point really quickly that I believe God takes pleasure in our financial success. And the reason I think that is because the Bible says it. So Psalm 35, verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yet them, yea, let them say continually. So we're supposed to say this a bunch. Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would both prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, I understand that a lot of people have maybe taken these concepts and said a bunch of weird things about it. And, and some people, you know, I'm aware of one, one minister that he, he was a really godly man and he got a hold of some of these ideas and, and believed that God wanted to help uh, people prosper. And so he got a hold of this uh, investment idea, at least he thought it was an investment idea. And he got a whole bunch of Christians together and, and invested in this deal, uh, believing that they would make a lot of money. Now, the, the problem was that the thing turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. And uh, the, the guy didn't handle it right. He should have gone and, and owned up to it and told people what happened, but he, he couldn't face the reality that he'd you know, stolen all these people's money and that it brought down his ministry. Now, that should never have happened, and I, I hate that stuff like that happens, and it's, it's uh, not good. But just because that occurs doesn't mean that I get to, th to throw these scriptures out or change what the Bible teaches about, about the will of God concerning our finances. It also does not mean that if we're struggling financially that somehow God is mad at us or that we're not good Christians or anything silly like that. It just means that large scale, I don't believe it's the will of God for people to live in poverty. I don't believe that that statement should be controversial in any means because if you look you know, around the globe, I've, I've been to places, I've been to, uh, in the Dominican Republic, I've, I've visited uh, the dump and they have people that literally live in, in the dump and their house, you know, it's made out of, uh, you know, it's their house, but it's a room and it's made out of you know, foil and stuff, or aluminum that they've salvaged from, from where people dump their refuse. And I don't believe that things like that uh, are the will of God. If it was the will of God, then why has He summoned us to help people in those poverty-stricken 
uh, environments. Um, so lots of things happen on the earth that are not the will of God. We've talked about this on numerous occasions. I won't reiterate all that. But I don't believe that God has ever had a problem with people having money. His problem has always just been with, with money having people. When money becomes our God, we've already talked about this, but let's reiterate it really quickly. It becomes a problem. Read Genesis 13, verse 2. How many of you think God liked Abraham? He's the father of our faith, right? Let's read Genesis 13, verse 2. This is an amazing verse. And Abram was very rich. Everybody see that? Everybody say, very rich. How rich was he? He was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. Now, most of the time, we don't have any problem with this because Abraham lived a long time ago, and you don't have to see him on YouTube or anything like that. But if I pointed out a, you know, a major minister and I said, so-and-so major minister is very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, statements like that tend to offend people. And we think, well, if that person's very rich, they must be ungodly. But we've talked about this before. I cannot judge your, your godliness state based on your bank account number. I have no idea how much money is controlling you. You can have a lot of money and money can be controlling you. You can have not very much and money can still be controlling you. You can have a lot of money and be totally free from the love of money, and, and the control of it. Uh, again, Matthew 6, 24, we've quoted this before, but Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can't let God, money become your God. If money is your God, that's a major problem. But just having money is not a problem. God hung out with Abraham. The Bible says that, that Abraham was God's friend. He's the father of our faith. And he was really rich. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. So that might mean I have to shift my thinking a little bit. Now, pastor, does that mean that I'm just supposed to focus on getting rich and that that'll make me, me happy? Well, of course not. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. I'll just read it off the screen. It says, they that will be rich. What's this mean? People that make the whole focus of their life getting rich... What will happen to those people? They'll fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and in perdition. What's that mean? If you make the pursuit of money the whole focus of your life, it's an empty pursuit. And it'll leave you wounded and painful and broken. But does that mean that money is bad? No, it just means I can't make it the major focus of my life. And if I'm doing this stuff that I've talked about and I'm managing my money in a healthy way, I'm giving, I'm saving, and I'm living within my means, and then all of a sudden I've got a lot of money, I don't need to feel bad about it. Yeah. Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. Because if I've got a lot of money, I can, I can affect a lot of people. I can help a lot of people. I can bring breakthrough into people's lives. Additionally, there are some people, the Bible teaches in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, I won't go there for the sake of time, but it talks about people with different spiritual gifts. And one of the gifts listed there is the gift of giving. It's the charisma of giving. And Josh and I were talking about church after church last week, 
And Josh said, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you're supposed to covet earnestly the best gifts. Sometimes people say, well, I don't think I have a gift to give. Well, ask for one. That's Josh's point. I want to give him credit for it. So. I do that because my pastor used to steal stuff from me all the time. A lot of times he'd give me credit, though. So anyway. <laughs> but some people have a gift to give that, that this is a, a major um, thing that motivates them, and it's supernatural. Uh, Josh is one of these people, um, and his wife, Nicole. In, in uh, August, Ashley Teredes, who some of you know, who's my friend, he'll be here. And he's, he's got one of the strongest gifts to give of anybody that I've met. He is a major, major giver. It's how he lives. And you know what? When you have a gift to give, a lot of times you also have a gift to make money. And Ashley does. I mean, he'll like walk down the street and $500 will fall out of a tree and land in his pocket. <laughs> That's a bit of an exaggeration, but not really. I mean, money just comes to the guy. But why is that? Is he, man, he gives like mad. And the major focus of his life is not the money he's bringing in, but the money he's giving. And if you make the major focus of your life giving, that's not an empty pursuit. That'll make you whole. That'll make your life meaningful. So I believe that God wants us to be a success in our finances. And I, I, he's just like any natural father. I don't think... I don't think any dad, I don't look at my three kids and think, well, I sure hope one of them grows up to, to be homeless and live on the street and not have any money. I mean, I, think, I don't think that that's a healthy way to think about your kids. How many of you agree with that? And the Bible says that by comparison, uh, I look like an evil father compared to, to God. So I just don't, I, I, I can't accept this concept that God, you know, poverty, poverty is terrible. It, it causes disease, all kinds of problems. So, Pastor, if, if poverty is not the will of God, then why does it exist? And that's a really great, great question. Uh, we've answered questions like this before. This is just one aspect of it. But I want to read you something specific. Go back to Genesis 3. If you're talking about why bad things exist on the planet, you always have to go back to the beginning of the story. And Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, it says... To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten, the uh, uh, eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying not to do that, um, you'll be in sorrow, etc. Verse 18. No, no, say, okay, sorry, finish the verse. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto you, and you'll eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you'll eat of it. You'll eat bread. I don't know if anybody's ever made bread before, but it's hard. Previously, he'd been wandering through the garden, and there's just fruit everywhere. And God said, you can eat any fruit out of any tree. Some people theorize that, that the way Adam cultivated the garden was to talk to the plants. I don't know whether or not that's true, but God talked to stuff. And so we were created in the image of God. And anyway, we know this, it wasn't hard work. It was work, but it wasn't causing, it wasn't causing him to sweat. It was no sweat. Right? And then after the fall, after sin entered, God says, uh, Adam, you're going to start working to make bread, 
And sometimes the, the ground's going to yield thorns and thistles. In other words, sometimes it's not going to work. There's going to be crop failure. There's going to be famine. Sin created a world where lack exists. Previously, there was no lack. But now there will be because of sin. Big picture. Now, I'm not talking about individual acts of sin. I'm not saying that, that uh, you know, everybody's that's poor is because there's a, they're a sinner. That's... That's it, or because they made some specific wrong choice. That's silly. You know, sometimes you can have crazy stuff happen. I didn't ask for permission. I'm sure, I'm sure they don't mind this story. Casey and Tim, one time they're sitting in their living room, just like all of us. They're sitting in their living room, and then all of a sudden, there's a car in their living room. A car drove into their living room. They're sitting there. There's no car. Then there's a car in the living room. Well, you can't plan for that. Right? Crazy, crazy stuff happens in life, okay? Not all, of it's, not all of it's our fault all the time, although the guy probably was, was sinning. I don't know if he was high or what, but anyway, he was definitely not obeying the law. But anyway, so crazy stuff happens sometimes, but, but there's, there are, when we sin, it opens the door for demonic forces to come in and wreak havoc in our lives. And one of these... Um, forces is called the spirit of poverty. And the spirit of poverty is a real thing, and we want to help people and cities and nations break free from it. What is the spirit of poverty? When we talk about things like demons and stuff, a lot of times people think about the exorcist and people's heads spinning around and stuff. And I think about one time I was in my office at my old church, and, and there was a guy there, and I felt led to go hug this guy. And so I wandered over to him after we'd done some counseling, and I had him stand up. I said, I'm going to give you a hug. I can feel the anointing, and I I'm, I'm start hugging him. I release the love of God. You know, it's beautiful. And then this guy starts going, ah, and, and he's sticking his tongue out and stuff, and he's trying to bite me, and, and uh, it was really kind of weird. And... <laughs> And so what I said was, I need you to wait right here for a second, because I could see my other appointment through the glass window. And so I said, wait right here. And I went out there, and I talked to the people. I said, now, I know I was going to meet with you, but there's a guy in here that's demon-possessed, and so i got to deal with this. And so please come back later. And they're like, all right, we understand. <laughs> they're like, just don't make us go in there. No. No, but anyway, so I went in there and dealt with that issue. And, and, and so I believe, you know, in that kind of stuff, and, and I believe in getting people delivered and so forth. But that's probably not the primary way, at least in the Western world, that, that demons afflict people. The, the word spirit in the New Testament also means attitude. Demons are purveyors of thoughts. They are sellers, if you will, of demonic ideologies, wrong ways of thinking, beliefs and attitudes that keep people and nations trapped, stuck in poverty. And I want to show you this powerfully in, in this amazing story that God just sort of opened up to me in the book of Judges. I think this reveals why the spirit of poverty exists. So just take some time and walk through this with me. In Judges 6... Um, there's the story of Gideon, and if you're familiar with the way Judges works, there's no king yet, 
and they've come into the nation of Israel, they've come into the land of Canaan, and things will go well for a while, and then uh, they'll get into idolatry, and God will raise up a foreign nation that will come and oppress them. He doesn't do that randomly. He does it because he promised he would in the covenant written in Deuteronomy. But anyway, then, then God will raise up a judge to deliver the nation, and they'll do well during the time where that judge is alive, but then the judge will die, and they'll go back into idolatry, and there's this cycle. So when we pick up the story in Judges 6, we're on the bad part of the cycle where they're being oppressed. So look at Judges 6, verse 1. It says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So Midian, the Midianites were these... Uh, foreign nation that were oppressing them. Now I want you to read verse, what did I say? Verse 6, real quickly. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Everybody see that? In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is like a prophetic picture of the church. And the enemies of Israel are a prophetic picture of the demonic forces that try to oppose the church and the mission of the church to bring heaven to earth. Ephesians 6 says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood anymore, but principalities and powers and high places. People aren't my problem. People aren't your problem. In the Old Testament, we saw played out between people groups what now happens in the spirit realm. So there's this nation that's being oppressed by the Midianites, and they are impoverished because of this. Well, why was that occurring? Let's read a little bit further. Start in verse 22. We're going to read a big chunk of this. So the Lord appears to Gideon, and he says, you're going to go and deliver my, my people Israel. And Gideon's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's real scared. He's threshing wheat in this, in this vat, He's in this wine vat. He's hiding from the Midianites. And he says, I'm the biggest loser in the biggest loser tribe, and I don't want to go do this. I, I don't know if anybody's ever said anything like that to God before, but that's what Gideon said. I think we can identify with him. And anyway, and then God says... Uh, you are going to do this, and he offers a sacrifice. And then, and then in verse 22, Gideon has this realization that he sees an angel. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. He thinks he's going to die. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you, fear not, for you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet at Orpha and that place. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years, and throw down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar there unto the Lord your God on top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer the burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which you will cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was that he, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, but he did it by night. 
All right, I want you to think about this story for a second. So what we've got here is a nation that's being oppressed by a foreign group of people. This isn't happening, happening for uh, random reasons. It's because they have entered into idolatry, and they are worshiping, in particular, a god called Baal. Baal was a Phoenician god of fertility. But the word means Lord, Master, or get this, Owner. It is the demonic counterfeit of Jehovah. Jehovah means Lord. But the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? God is Lord. Everybody with me? But what kind of Lord is He? He's the kind of Lord that when you submit to Him and you give your freedom and you hand over everything to Him, He gives it back. He empowers you. Baal is the kind of God that when you submit to Him, He controls you. And he micromanages your life. And he doesn't allow you to have any freedom. And he causes you to live in fear of judgment. I believe that poverty exists primarily, globally, because of the idolatrous worship of control. That's a really profound statement, what I said just there. I believe that to get free from poverty, you have to tear down the altar of Baal. You have to tear down the altar of control. Letter C on the back. Fundamental to the spread of poverty is the belief that I am supposed to control other people and or other people are supposed to control me. This is the principle. Freedom leads to wealth. Which leads to freedom. Which leads to more wealth. Until you become a society like ours where you have all sorts of problems like, well, there's nothing on Netflix. I'm serious. You know, these, these debates that we have all the time, these concerns that we have, these existential questions, am I fulfilling my destiny? Am I doing what I'm here to do? You understand that for much of human history, that question, nobody asked it. Because what were you, your purpose was to go find an animal and kill it so people could eat, if you're a guy. But freedom, the more freedom that we have to make decisions, to own property, to gain education, to self-govern, etc., the more people that you have in a society with more freedom, you will generate more wealth. And it's not just the Bible that teaches that. There's this fascinating book called Why Nations Fail, The Origins of Power, Prosperity, and Poverty. And they looked at all these different nations, and they looked at places like North and South Korea. If you look at South Korea, South Korea is extremely wealthy. Uh, how many of you own a, a Samsung smartphone? 
All right, you're helping the South Korean economy. All right, if you own a Samsung TV, okay, they're very, they're a, a prosperous nation. On the same peninsula is, is North Korea. North Korea is one of the most impoverished nations on the planet today. It's basically a slave state. It's horrific. If you look at satellite images of North and South Korea at night, South Korea is all lit up. It's beautiful. There's all these electric lights. If you look at North Korea, there's one spot that's lit up where Kim Jong-un lives. Everything else is dark. It's really brutal. Why is that? Because primarily because that, that country is a dictatorship. The people there do not have freedom. Well, somebody say amen. All right, let's, let's read this quote. Countries, this is, a bunch of, this is the product of all this research that they did, although I don't think you have to do a lot of research to understand this. Countries such as Great Britain and the United States became rich because their citizens overthrew the elites. Now, t take this out of the moment in which we live. He's not talking about somebody with a PhD that lives in New York City. He's talking about King George. He's talking about the monarchy. All right? He's saying he overthrew the, the monarchy who controlled power and created a society where political rights were much more broadly distributed, where the government was accountable and responsible to citizens, and where the great mass of people could take advantage of economic opportunities. Our country is not perfect, and we have a history of, of, of you know, imperfection, but the story of the United States is increasingly giving freedom to more and more people and increasing that freedom. Is that true? We're going to celebrate it. Fourth of July. It's a big deal. Freedom leads to wealth. It just does. It's not because we're better than, than you know, some other country you know, for some other reason. It's not because of you know, people that live here are smarter than somebody else or something crazy like that. It's because of this principle. In America, we really try hard not to control each other. Except for the one place where we haven't always gotten the memo, which is in church. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> why, why do people try to control each other? Ever wondered this? It's because of fear. It's because I'm scared of what you'll do if I don't, if I don't control you. Which means that fear is the ultimate thing that leads to poverty. Now, I want you to think about the significance of what happened in this story of Gideon. He tears down the altar of Baal. He tears down the altar of control. But what happens first? He meets Jehovah Shalom. What's that mean? The God of peace. He found peace with God. He found peace with himself. And then he was able to go out and destroy this idolatrous worship of control. If you read the rest of the story, after that, they overthrow the Midianites. Why? Because once you get rid of idolatry, the demonic powers lose their authority. I don't know if you're as excited about that as I am. That's a really, that's a really good word, what I said right there. 
I mean, think about North Korea. Imagine the level of fear present in that, in that family to rule North Korea the way that they do. You know that Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il, he had this cult of personality, and he actually told people that he did not go to the bathroom, <laughs> that he had evolved beyond the need to do this. He also told people, and I think the son says this too, that they, that they shot 18 on a golf course, 18 holes in one. Why do you say stuff like that? Because you're scared of what people will think of you. Because you want to be worshipped like God. But not like our God. You want to be worshipped like Baal. You want to control people. And when you try to control people, it leads to poverty. Gideon, let her be, had an encounter with Jehovah Shalom. He was afraid, like most of humanity, but when he met God, he found peace with God, peace with himself, and he went and tore down that altar. I believe that religion wants people to be poor. I know it wants pastors to be poor. I've, I've met some. This is, this, no, I'm serious. You know, my, my grandparents are, are amazing people. We've got to go see them again and... and my grandpa loves me so much, and, and you know, he, he did well. He worked really hard. He was one of the hardest working people I ever knew. He, when he was 12, he was out, and we lived in rural Kansas, and so he trapped, uh, you know, animals, and he sold the, the pelts and stuff. He made a lot of money. He married my grandma when they were 18, halfway through the uh, senior year of high school. They lived with, with one of their parents for the last half of high school, and then when they got out, he paid cash for a house. Now, this was a long time ago. Houses were a lot cheaper. Okay, and I'm sure it was a small house, but he, he worked hard, and he retired well, and he's not ever had to worry about money since he retired. And he, he, when I told him I was going to be a pastor, he was like, well, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> he worried about us. He didn't want us to be, to be you know, stuck in poverty. And, and and religion tries to do that to you, and, and why? Because inherent in religious legalism is the deep-seated fear that people can't be trusted with freedom. People have to be controlled. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep them poor. They used to say about pastors, you keep them poor, we'll keep them humble. So, I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. I'm not, I'm not poor, all right? We're, we're doing really good, okay? I'm just telling you this is how people think, okay? Uh, so, it's our desire for people to experience true wealth. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about having a bunch of money. Now, it's fine to have a bunch of money, but real wealth is the awareness of the truth that anything is possible. What poverty does is it constricts your belief in what can happen. It limits what you believe is possible. And when you recognize that you have access to the unlimited resources of heaven and that you can pull heaven to earth, suddenly anything becomes possible. Poverty is far more than a lack of resources. It's the acceptance of meager possibility. We want you to experience true wealth and the belief that anything is possible. We want you to find 
joy in the, in the, in the power of powerful relationships and in the significance of being associated with, with working towards something greater than yourself. That's what real wealth is. The reason I'm, I'm happy when I wake up is I, I think, you know what? Not everything's perfect, but I'm working towards something. We're doing something. We're, we're, we're building the kingdom. I'm part of something bigger than myself. Money helps me accomplish those things, but money's not the goal. Money's a means to an end. And the end is heaven on earth. Do you know that heaven, the Bible says, the streets are paved with gold? Is that true? So if heaven's going to come to earth, we've got to get a lot more gold down here or something. We've got to... Again, it's just a picture. God, God, God hates poverty. He hates it when his kids are suffering. So I believe that wealth comes as we find true freedom in Christ. When we stop fearing other people, stop fearing ourselves, and learn to live courageously from the place of intense liberty that he purchased for us on the cross. Galatians 5 and 1 translation, verse 1, says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We want to have ever-increasing measures of freedom in this place. Let's all stand up. If I could have my prayer team come down. Does this bless anybody? We want to tell you happy Independence Day. Praise God. That's a great holiday. That's Jesus' holiday. I tell you what. God does not like people being in bondage to anything. Whether it's poverty or addiction or sin. You know, some people take this and they're like, well, you're just saying, you know, we can just go sin. No, that's craziness. The Bible says if you go sin, you're in bondage to sin. That's just another kind of, of, of bondage. Freedom is when we can walk in holiness. When you can do what you want to do, but what you want to do is right. What you want from your spirit, not what you want from your flesh. Living under your flesh is no freedom at all. It's bondage. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you need personal prayer in just a moment, you can come down here. We'd love to pray for you for anything. I'm going to pray for everybody dismiss service. Father, I just pray this morning for an encounter with Jehovah Shalom. Holy Spirit, let your peace come this morning. Let us learn to be at peace with ourselves, at peace with you, and at peace with those around us. Let us stop trying to control other people. And let us tear down that altar that says that you're trying to control us and that you're manipulating everything. And let us learn to embrace real freedom and the wealth associated with it. Help us to find powerful connections with other people. Help us to connect with our significance and our purpose in life. Most of all, help us to connect with you. So Lord, right now, I just bless your people. I speak over them that they are wealthy people, that they are increasing, that financial breakthrough is coming. every area of wealth, that they're building wealth in every area of life. We thank you for that and we receive it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.